wonderful Bible reading now, which is uh, from Lamentations, chapter 3. And uh, we're going to read just a few famous verses, precious verses, from the book of Lamentations. And Ethan is going to read them for us. So, Ethan, would you be kind enough to come up and read Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 21 to 26. Thank you. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope, um, and quietly, for the salvation of the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Ethan, so much. We've been singing tonight about the faithfulness of God, uh, but he wants us to be faithful too, and that's what this parable is about, which we're going to be looking at now. Matthew chapter 25. Verse 14 to 13. It's the Lord Jesus speaking. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man travelling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came And said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there, you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents, and to everyone who has, more will be given. 
and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Please keep your Bibles open there. During World War II, one of the great cathedrals of Europe was badly bombed, as indeed many of them were. And uh, this particular cathedral had a very notable statue of the Lord Jesus Christ in it, a large statue of him with his arms out, and the text written underneath, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, when the, the, the cathedral was bombed, this statue also was victim to the falling debris, and it got smashed to pieces. And a group of people who were in there after the war from America wanted to help put the the building back. And they started putting together again this broken statue, a famous statue of the Lord Jesus Christ. But an interesting thing was when they came to put it back, they could piece together the whole statue except for the two hands. The two hands were broken and lost. And then somebody had an idea and they put underneath a new inscription Not a gospel one, so I regret that. But it was still a good inscription, I think. It said this, He has no hands but our hands. Now that's uh, an inscription you have to think about. He has no hands but our hands. And I think that inscription is accurate. Because in the book of Acts, chapter 1, in fact the very first verse, Acts 1, verse 1, Dr. Luke, who wrote that, who also wrote Luke's Gospel, he said this. He said, the former account, meaning Luke's Gospel, I wrote, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And that little word began there is an implication that Jesus is still doing things today. But he's doing it now through his church on the earth. And that's what the book of Acts is about. And uh, they made a a right uh, decision there, I think, uh, in what, uh, uh, what they said. He has no hands but our hands. And this highlights what the Lord Jesus wanted his church to be doing in his absence while we're waiting for his second coming. He wants us to be working while we're waiting for his return. This parable here is especially teaching that message. It's one of the the four parables in what we call the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse is a a special teaching in in Matthew's Gospel, which the Lord Jesus gave, about his second coming. And it's called that because it was given on a mountain called Olivet, which is next to Jerusalem, overlooking Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. And up on the mountain, Jesus gave the signs of his coming, and then he gave some practical applications. Application. And there's always practical application to Bible prophecy. And the Lord Jesus gave practical application to the message of his return. And he gave this in the form of parables, stories which are comparable, one thing comparable with another, so we get the message. And the previous parable had been the parable of the ten bridesmaids, you remember, what we sometimes call the ten virgins. And, and it's the parable which teaches us that we are to be waiting for the Lord and watching for his return. Uh, Those sleeping bridesmaids, they weren't ready for when he came. But that was the point of that parable. This next parable, the message is that we are to be waiting for his return and working while we are waiting for his return. We are not to be sitting idle. 
And that's what this parable is about, as I say. Uh, To explain it just in a nutshell, the master in this parable is the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going away on a journey and coming back. That's his second coming. The servants are professing Christians, and I'm going to use that word qualifying uh, professing Christians, people who say they're Christians, and the uh, talents, which is uh, a unit of weight, uh, we read in Revelation 16 about a, a hailstones coming down weighing one talent. The talents were units of money which represent our responsibilities. And when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, he is going to inspect what his believers have been doing uh, in his absence. And there will be either reward or rejection. Or to try and put it in a clever way like I have on the screen, it'll be either a talent show or it'll be no show, uh, depending on whether you've been faithful to the Lord in this. Now at this point I want to be very careful that I'm not misunderstood, because people often get misunderstood uh, in church. I heard about a little boy who went home from Sunday school and he said to his mum, he said, mum, next week I've got to take a cucumber. And his mum looked at him and thought, that's a bit strange, take a cucumber. And she said, okay, well that's okay son, you will get your cucumber. And he wanted his cucumber to take, and he went off to Sunday school with his cucumber, and he came back a little bit sad, and he said, I made a mistake. He said, it wasn't a cucumber we were meant to bring, we were meant to bring a newcomer. And uh, (laughs) a Sunday school teacher was trying to get her her children to bring others along. You know, we sometimes get on the wrong end of stick of what we hear in church, don't we? And I don't want anybody here tonight to get on the wrong end of the stick about this message. We are talking about Christians serving the Lord. We are not talking about the way in which we get to heaven. Because we do not get to heaven by good works and acts of service. This is what the world thinks. The world thinks God's got a big set of scales and he's going to put all your good deeds in one side and all your bad deeds in the other. And as long as the good outweighs the bad, you'll be all right. And it's a working your way to heaven type of philosophy. I want to tell you that's not the case. We are saved only by the Lord Jesus' death on the cross. If there had been another way, the Lord Jesus wouldn't have had to have come and died on the cross. And this is what the book of Galatians teaches us. But the Lord Jesus is the only one. And if we want to go to heaven, we need to ask God to forgive us for the things we've done wrong. And we need to put our trust in his good work for us on the cross so that we are saved by his merits, not ours. That's the gospel. And I love what the uh, great old Puritan David Dixon said. He said, when I first heard the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation, he said, I took all my bad deeds and I put them in a pile. And I took all my good deeds and I put them in a pile next to them. And I fled from them both to the cross of Jesus. And I want to tell you, that's what salvation is. We turn our back on our bad deeds and ask God to forgive us from those but we stop trusting in our good deeds and works as well and we trust in Christ alone that is the message of salvation but when we become Christians the Lord has a job for us to do and he wants us to be faithful in that job and that's what this parable is about the old poet said I cannot work my soul to save that work my Lord has done But I will work like any slave for the love of God's dear son.
And this parable teaches us that the Lord has for us a a task. I want us to see this tonight under three headings. I want to talk about our responsibilities, our rewards, and our possible rejection. So let's see these three things. First of all, our responsibilities in verses 14 through to 18. Now the parable, the story, begins with a man going away on a long journey and leaving his servants in charge with his goods while he's away. Uh, There's a a parallel parable, (laughs) another parable like this in Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 19. Uh, It's called the parable of the miners, or the King James has it, the, the, the parable of the pounds. It's a different unit of weight. Uh, But it's a parable there about a king who went away on a journey and left his goods in charge in his servant's hands while he was away. And interestingly enough, the Lord Jesus told that in the house of Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the little man up the tree who put his trust in Jesus and got saved? Well, Jesus uh, then taught in his house that parable, which is almost the same in many respects as this. And he told us that in Jericho. And that was very interesting because Jericho was where King Herod lived. And when King Herod was due to become king, he couldn't appoint himself king. Because remember, the Roman Empire was over, over the country. So he had to leave to go to Rome to be appointed king and then come back to claim his kingdom. And his son Archelaus tried to do the same. It actually was rejected by Caesar for the role of of a king. Uh, But this is what he did. And he left his servants in charge while he was away. So that idea was something that the Jewish people were familiar with. And here it wasn't a king, but it was a rich man who was going away on a journey. And he left his servants in charge. This is what people sometimes did. We know from the story of Joseph that Joseph was put in charge of Potiphar's household and all the goods of Potiphar were in Joseph's hands. He was responsible for them. And this is where the parable starts to bite straight away. You know, sometimes when you see these big maps, uh, they have an arrow on it and it says, you are here. (laughs) Well, if I could put an arrow in our Bible, it would be here. I'd say, you are here at this point. In between the Lord Jesus going away and the Lord Jesus coming back at his second coming. And the point is, we have all got talents and treasures and time to use for our God. And he expects us to be doing things for him. Uh, Just on a humorous note, I did read that the boxer Sugar Ray Leonard was asked once to speak at Harvard University. Why they they took a a hardened boxer like that to speak to all the scholars. And he put it like this when he got up. He said, we've all been blessed with God-given talents. Mine just happens to be beating people up. (laughs) Well, perhaps he was on the right end of the stick, but at the wrong end of the stick as well. We're not called to beat people up. But God has given us talents and gifts to serve him with. And it's not just our talents, like somebody's ability to play the piano or sew or do something like that. It's our resources, our gifts in our character that he's given us, the gifts of the Holy Spirit when we become Christians, our money, our time. Everything God has given you, basically, he expects you to be using for him. 
And I want you to notice some things about these, these gifts he's put into our hands. They're God's gifts. Did you notice that in verse 14? It said, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servant and delivered his goods to them. Now, he wasn't saying, here, these are your goods. He's saying, these are my goods and they're in your hands to use. They're his goods. And this comes up again and again throughout this parable. It's called the Lord's money. And even the unfaithful servant says, here's your money back at the end. They're God's gifts. You know, that's important for us to understand. The things we've been given are God's. And that should stop us being proud. You see somebody who's a gifted preacher or a gifted singer or somebody who's gifted uh, with people work or something. There's no point in getting proud about that. Like John the Baptist said, a man only has what's given him from heaven. We need to remember they're God's gifts. And that's one of the things this passage teaches us. They're also generous gifts because you'll notice in verse 15 it says, And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and to each according to his own ability. Now a talent, as I said, was a unit of weight of silver. And it was, one talent was 20 years salary in silver. So you think of that. That is a lot of money. I wouldn't mind 20 years saving being popped into my bank account right now. 20 years salary is one talent. So the man who had the five talents, he had 100 years salary. The man who had two talents, he had 40 years salary. The man who had one talent, he had 20 years salary. That was a big investment in their hands by the the generous uh, 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 landowner. And this is a, a great lesson for us to learn. God is generous with his gifts. And what he's given us to serve him is generously given so we can... We can be faithful to him. It's true some people are given more and some people are given less, but all are given much. All are given much. And if you've got a gift from God to use, you have been blessed generously by God. But there are also guided gifts because you'll notice it said he gave to each one according to his own ability. He didn't give all the same. He gave each different amounts according to their ability because God knows what each one of us is capable of. And he trusts us with the gifts and the abilities uh, and the resources according to what he knows we can do with them. And what we have got to do is be like those first two men who the Lord gave those talents to. And they put them to work straight away. Did you notice that? Verse 16. Then he who, went, then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more. They went out and they used what they'd got to gain more for their master. And that's what the Lord wants us to be doing, using what we've got to gain more for him and uh, especially bring more people to him uh, for salvation. We're not to be like the third man who went and hid his talent in the ground. Verse 18 says, but he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. We're not to be like that. We're to be like the other men and faithfully serving God with the responsibilities he has given us. Our time, our talents, our treasures. And I want to challenge you today. Are you doing that? 
Are you doing that? You know, the the Bible commentator F.F. Bruce said this. He said, a servant is known by his master's absence. You can tell whether you're really a servant or not by what you're doing while the Lord is away. And don't think that what you have to do is insignificant. The great preacher John MacArthur said this. He said, no other believer can take our place in God's heart, which is a touching thought, isn't it? No other believer can take our place in God's heart and no other believer can take our place in God's work. He has given no one the exact ministry he has given us. If we do not use our gift, no one else will. If we do not fulfill our ministry, it will not be fulfilled. He said that in his commentary on on 1 Corinthians. So I hope I challenge you to do what you can, where you are, with what you've got. The great preacher D.L. Moody told this story about a man in the olden days who was on a journey across the Atlantic in a ship. And as it was on a stormy night, they heard a cry from the deck above. And the cry went out, man overboard! And uh, the poor uh, man, somebody had fallen over the edge and uh, people were scuttling to try and rescue him. They got lifeboats out over the edge of the boat and so on. And there was a man on board the ship who was a passenger and he really wanted to do something to help, but he couldn't do it. He was terribly, terribly seasick. And if you've ever been painfully seasick so you can hardly move, it's like I've had labyrinthitis, as you know, (laughs) and it's a horrible experience. And uh, he thought, I can't do anything. And then he thought, I know what I can do. And he got his lantern and he put his lantern in the ship window. He thought, I might be able to help shed a bit of light. (coughs) And the amazing story was this. That when the man was rescued, he said, I was going down for the last time when someone put a light in the window and another sailor in a boat saw me and pulled me out. You say, I can't do much. What you can do for God can be greatly significant. God has given you responsibilities as I, <coughs> he has given all of us. So we need to serve him faithfully with those things. That's the first thing I want us to see, our responsibilities. Excuse me. Second thing I want you to see here is our rewards in verses 19 to 23. Because what we see here is how the master rewarded those servants when he came back. And God is a generous employer who rewards very generously to bring out the best in our service. And most of us don't realise how generous God really is. (coughs) Excuse me, please forgive me, I'm still getting my voice back. Uh, I heard this story just recently, it just illustrated this so beautifully to me, I've got to share it tonight. I heard about a Saudi prince who was having uh, some businessmen uh, fly across from different parts of the world and he was entertaining them, trying to do business deals with them. And as these things tend to be for these high-powered businessmen, golf was involved and they were going to play a game of golf. (coughs) Excuse me. And he thought, I want to make it special for these men. I want to get them on side. So he thought, I'm going to hire a pro from America to come and join us. And he got in touch with one of the top players 
in America and said, would you be kind enough to come and play with us as we go around? I mean, we're all fairly good, but you'll be far better, but the men will love the buzz of playing with you. And he said, I'll be honoured. And uh, the Saudi prince said, I'll make arrangements. And he sent his own private jet out to America to collect the man. I mean, how would you like that, to be chauffeur-driven, flown on a jet back to Saudi Arabia, stayed in the most luxurious palace and, uh, uh, you can imagine uh, and played on this, this amazing golf course with these people. And afterwards, the Saudi prince said to the, the golf uh, player, he said, I'd like to say thank you for what you've done. You've really made this a special uh, experience. He said, what can I do to say thank you? And the man said, look, I've just had a lovely time. I've, I've been blown away with, with all this. He said, I, I don't need anything, honestly. And the prince insisted. He said, no, I must do something. And the man thought to himself, well, this is probably Arab protocol, so I better go along with it. And he said, look, he said, if you want to do something for me, you can buy me a really nice golf club. And the prince said, leave it with me. Well, he was still there a few more days, and uh, he was expecting at some point the prince to turn up and present him with this beautiful uh, stick for hitting a little white ball with. And... uh, he was uh, uh, waiting to see what it would be like. Would it have diamonds on it? Would it have a, you know, an ivory handle? No, it wouldn't have ivory handle these days. But uh, would it have a, uh, diamonds on it? Would it be gold-plated or whatever? And uh, nothing happened. He thought, well, it doesn't matter. You know, it, he doesn't owe me anything. I've had a great time. Anyway, back in America, a few weeks later, and there's a big black car pulls into his drive, and a man in a suit comes up to the front door and calls him. And he comes out and he says, how can I help you? And the man holds up a bunch of keys. He said, sir, I'm here from the Saudi prince and I would like to take you to the really nice golf club he has brought you. (laughs) And the man, he was thinking, oh, you know, it'll be a nice golf club. The prince said, I'll buy you a really nice golf club. And you see the point of what I'm trying to tell you is we think, oh, God will give me a present in heaven. He wants to give us great gifts in heaven, great rewards. And this is what we see here in this passage. His rewards are so generous as is illustrated in this parable. What does he give when he comes back and he settles accounts with these men? Well, first of all, when the first man comes before him, he gives him his praise. Have a look in verse 21. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, that is words of praise. He says the same thing to the second man with the two talents in verse 23. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. He said words of praise and commendation to him. And that means so much, doesn't it? Words of well done. And I want to say this. That would be a very gracious thing for God to say to any of us, wouldn't it? Well done. We often say this at people's funeral. I don't think we should actually say it at people's funerals because it's not our place to say it. It's the Lord's place to say it. But he will one day say to those who have done well, well done. The question is, if you want to hear the well done, you've got to do well. He doesn't say, well intended, good and faithful servant. He doesn't say, well planned. Oh, I planned to do this and I never did it. He doesn't say well planned. He says, well done. To do well, to hear well, well done, you have to do well. And his praise will be worth it all. 
we also see that he gave his promotion because he moved them from being servants to being rulers. Did you notice that in verse 21? He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. He's been promoted. He's no longer a servant. He's a ruler. Now, in a way, he's still a servant, but he's been given a promotion. And this is a picture of Christ's roles that he's going to give his church when he comes back. In Revelation chapter 20, we read, when Christ reigns on the earth, we will reign with him as kings and priests under him. It's amazing. But he will make us from servants to rulers. And I find this very interesting as well, though, because this man, he was rewarded for his service with even more service. (laughs) Now, if you're a true servant of the Lord, that will please you. And I want to tell you something that really blessed me. And this was taught me by a lady who was dying with cancer. And she told me this. She said, John, do you realize our heavenly ministry begins right now? We don't continue our ministry. We don't begin our ministry in heaven when we get there. If we've been faithful on earth, then we get to be faithful to him in heaven. So we start serving him on earth and it just flows on through. But with promotion. I think that's very exciting. You can begin your heavenly ministry today. Well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, Become a ruler over many things. And he will give greater responsibilities in his heavenly kingdom and his kingdom on earth when he comes again. And also we see the, the, the reward of his privilege. Because then he says this beautiful phrase, enter into the joy of your Lord in verse 21 And at the end of verse 23. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's a privilege. Charles Spurgeon the great Baptist preacher put it like this. He said it is not a servant's portion that is given us. It is the master's portion shared by his servants. He doesn't say enter into the joy of the other servants. He says enter into the joy of the Lord. What a privilege that is. What is it that makes God Happy and joyful. (laughs) It's got to be big. And we're going to enter into his joy when we get to heaven. What a prospect that's before us. And the point of the Lord Jesus sharing us with us about these rewards is this. He wants to inspire us to serve him faithfully. You know, there's nothing that you're going to waste on earth if you give it into the hands of Jesus to use it for him. But you can hold things back. And miss out on those rewards. I'm sure you've, uh, if you haven't seen the film Schindler's List, you're familiar with the story of Schindler's List. The story of the man uh, Schindler, who Oscar Schindler, who saved many thousand. I think it was over a thousand Jews from going to Auschwitz during World War II uh, as they worked in his factory. But at the end, when the Germans were defeated, he called all his workers together and said, "You're free to go now." And his closest friend, his financial manager of the plant, another Jewish person, embraced him. And Schindler sobbed in tears. He said, I could have done more. And he looked at his car and he said, why did I keep this? That could have saved another ten Jews. And you know what? That's one of the things I think we need to be aware of now before we get to heaven. There's always more we can do for the Lord Jesus Christ. William Grimshaw, the great 
preacher of many years ago said, when I get to heaven, my greatest joy on that day will be how much he has done for me. But perhaps my greatest grief will be how little I have done for him. So let's make it our goal now to serve the Lord that we may enjoy his rewards in heaven when he comes. The third and final thing I want you to see from this passage here is our possible rejection. Not a certain rejection, but it is a possibility. And that's what the Lord brings out in verses 24 to 30. You know, theologians and Bible scholars, when they're talking about the parables, <coughs> excuse me, they talk about something called end stress. And what they mean is the fact that at the end of the parable, that's where the Lord stresses a point. End stress. Uh, to put it another way, uh, I heard of a, well, I knew of a preacher who wrote a book on the parables, and it was called "The Sting in the Tail." And it had a picture of a bee on the front. That was a clever title, wasn't it? Because the real punchline to the whole story nearly always comes right at the end of the parable. And this is what the Lord Jesus was driving home with this third point. The possibility of our rejection by him when he comes again. Uh, Because the third man, the man with the one talent, was going to be rejected because he hadn't used his talent for the Lord. And that is a picture of a false Christian being cast out at the end. You say, how do you know he's a false Christian? Well, I know it because of his words and his works. Have a look at his words in verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. His words show that he doesn't know the Lord at all. He calls him a hard man. Now, those of you who are real Christians here today, would you say the Lord is hard or would you say he's a God of love? You'd say he's a God of love, wouldn't you? You'd say, I I praise God, his love he's shown to me and his mercy. You wouldn't say God's been hard with me. You'd say God is good. Even when we face difficulties, he's not a hard man. Now, later on, what he accuses the master of uh, gathering where he has not sown, the master does actually say, you knew I did this. Now, what's he talking about there? I think this is beautiful. It means one of two things. Remember, there's another parable the Lord Jesus told about how the man went out and sowed the gospel seed and another enemy went out, a picture of the devil, and he went out and sowed. (laughs) So is the Lord Jesus stealing the devil's crop? Oh, I love the thought of that. Sinners being snatched from the devil's kingdom into Christ's kingdom. That's one possible meaning. But I think there's another meaning of it. Because at this time, the Lord had given the gospel to the Jews. And he had been sowing the seed of the word of God since Moses into the Jewish people all that time. But now Christ had come and the apostles were going to be sent out, as we heard this morning, to all nations. He was going to go and gather a harvest where he hadn't previously sown. And that's what I think this means. But his words showed he was a false Christian. This man said, I knew you to be a hard man. He didn't know him at all. Also his works in verse 25, betrayed him as a false Christian. He said, and I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. He wasn't faithful with what he had been given. And you know, your works are a proof of your faith. James says, 
faith without works is dead. You might just say, I'm a believer, but if your works, your life doesn't actually follow through with a lifestyle that is, uh, is, is the work of the Spirit, then you don't have the right to calling yourself a Christian. There's a, a need for salvation still. And this man's words and his works showed that he wasn't a real Christian. And he hid the talent in the ground because he didn't really like the master. I want you to think about this. What you do with your talent tells what you think about the Lord. What you do with your talent tells what you think about the Lord. If you're willing to use what God has given you, it tells you've got something inside that has come from him. If you're saying, I don't want to serve him, I don't want anything to do with him, that betrays a heart that is not really his, even if outwardly you are a professing Christian. You know, we hear about these near-death experiences that people have uh, when they you know, perhaps have a, a, a heart attack or something and they, they say, oh, I was dead for, for 20 minutes and the doctor brought me around. They weren't dead. They weren't dead. They wouldn't be here if they were. But they had a near-death experience. Well, I want to tell you, there's many people in Christianity who have a near-life experience. They come close to Christianity. They come close to Christ. Even like Judas Iscariot, who's one of the 12 disciples, but he himself was not truly Christ's. He wasn't, wasn't born of the Spirit of God, wasn't born again. He only had a near-life experience. I heard about a book that was rewritten uh, 20 years later after it had, the original copy had been produced and the author updated it. The technology had changed and the, the prices inside the book had been changed and he rewrote the book, sent it off to the manufacturer, publisher I should say, and uh, this is a true story and they published this book with a beautiful new dust jacket on it and people were buying all this, this book at Waterstones and that and they were getting it home, the updated version, they would find it was just the same inside. And the publisher had hit the wrong send, he had hit the wrong article to the printers, and he'd sent back the old one again. It had a nice new dust jacket on the outside, but inside it was still the same old book. And you know, there's people in church, oh, yes, I'm religious, woo! But inside, they're still the same old person. They've never been born again, like the Lord Jesus said, we must be. And this is a great warning, because what we see here, when that happens, those people at the end, they will face rejection by the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. I want you to notice, when this man uh, came before the Lord, he was ticked off, taken back, and thrown out. And that's what any employer would do with an unfaithful employee. He was ticked off in verse 26, the master but his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers at my and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. This man, he had taken the goods and he had buried it in the ground. Now, since the days of the Romans, the Phoenician banking system had been spread across the Roman Empire. The Jews, actually, in the law, weren't to use interest, what they call usury, with each other. Uh, but the Phoenician banking system had come into the whole Roman world, and there were banks. And this man, if he had taken that talent and put it with the bank, it would still have been safe, just as safe as it had been in the ground, 
But it would have been earning interest. But he wasn't going to do that. I think, do you know what I think? I think that man secretly hoped his Lord wasn't coming back and then that money would be his. If it was in the bank under, the, under his master's name, he wouldn't be able to get it. But that's, that's my thought. But he was corrected for that. And the Lord called him a wicked and lazy servant. Heard about a little boy who said to his Sunday school teacher, my dad is a civil serpent. <laughs> well, this man was a civil serpent, wasn't he? He was a, a real wicked person. He also had his talent taken back. Verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. The responsibilities and blessings God has given you will be taken away from you at that day when the Lord comes. If you're not faithfully serving him and you don't know him as your Lord. And you don't think God will do that. You look at a man called King Saul in the Old Testament. He was the first king of Israel. And he was unfaithful. And do you know what? God sent Samuel to King Saul. And he said, the kingdom has been taken from you and been given to another. It was given to David. Exactly what happened in this story with this man. And finally... The man was thrown out. Verse 30. And he, was, and he cast, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This man is thrown out. And the image the Lord uses is one he's used six times in the Gospels for the description of hell. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the warning of the Lord Jesus is that those who are not really his true servants will be cast out no matter how religious that they may seem to be. And I want to draw your attention to this thing especially. Because you know what? Many of us will be sitting in church today listening to a message like this and we'll be saying, well, you know, there's lots of people who've got big gifts. I'm just a humble little person. But I want to warn you about that attitude. Because in this parable, it wasn't the man with the five talents who was unfaithful. It wasn't the man with the two talents. It was the man who said, I've only got one talent. And he said, he said I'm going to bury it in the ground. And there's many people today who said, oh, I, I, I don't do anything for the Lord. I, no, I leave it up to the people who are far more gifted than me. And they don't want to serve the Lord. If that's you, then examine again where you stand because real Christians will want to serve the Lord with what God has given them. It's possible even to be a minister in a church and not truly be saved. Jim Hannington was a bishop in the Church of England, ordained, Bishop Jim, before he got converted. And when he got converted, he really got converted and became a missionary to Uganda. But you think about that. That's how far you can go in religion without being truly born again. So, dear friends, will there be a talent show or a no show when the Lord comes again? I hope and pray that each one of us will say thank you to the Lord for the responsibilities he's given us. Be inspired by the rewards that are greater than we could ever imagine, like that golf club uh, before us in heaven. And be ready to serve him and devote our lives to him who saved us by his own precious blood. 
Amen.